Hello and welcome to Series 7, Episode 5 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. First off, I need to apologise. This episode is coming to you a little bit late this week because... Look, it's been a bank holiday weekend and I forgot that it was Sunday. That's the that's the honest truth. Uh, we went to my parents for a little Easter break, which was very welcome. And went and had ice creams on the beach. And my mum cooked some lovely food. It was great. But it did mean that I totally lost my bearings. And yesterday, it's bank holiday Monday now. Yesterday, my producer Emma got in touch and said, Suze, you haven't sent over the top and tail for this week's episode. The, you know, the beginning and the end bit. And I said, no, I haven't, because I, I thought it was still Saturday, even though it's very much not. And I am not with my recording equipment. So it didn't happen, did it, guys? It didn't happen. But now it is five to eight on Monday morning, Monday, the 10th of April, 2023. And I'm late, but I'm here. Better late than never, right? So I'm sorry that this is a little bit late. If you were planning on listening to it first thing in the morning... My apologies. Here it is now. So I've had loads of lovely emails about last week's episode of the podcast with David Atherton. He's lovely, isn't he? We had such a nice chat. Yeah, we just had a lovely time. It was really nice. Thank you so, so much for your lovely emails. He was so honest and thoughtful and compassionate and interesting. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I highly recommend it. He's such a lovely person. Just lovely. Just lovely. And uh, I've had some lovely tour shows. Thank you if you've been to one of them. Oh, I'm having a blast on the road. It's so fun. This week I'm going to Bradford and Leicester. Very much looking forward to those two shows. So maybe if you're coming, I'll see you there. And yeah, we've announced another week at the Soho Theatre if you didn't manage to come or if you felt that half past nine in the evening was too late. Which, look, I do relate to, if I'm being totally honest. But there were still fabulous shows. Apart from Friday night where people were far too drunk. But listen, everyone makes mistakes. We live and learn. A couple of people really had a good drink beforehand. And then it was all a bit all over the shop. But it was still lots of fun. And people were still very nice. And I got loads of messages about it, which was really nice. Because it suggests that people that come to the show are so lovely that they wanted to make sure I was okay. I was. I've dealt with lots of drunk people before. Unfortunately, it's occasionally part of the job description as a stand-up. But anyway, enough of that. We've released another week of shows at the Soho Theatre. These ones are at the less intoxicated hour of half past seven in the evening. If you want to get tickets to any of my shows, most of the tour is sold out, but there's a few tickets here and there. You can buy the tickets at susieruffle.com. What about getting in touch, Suze? I'm so pleased you asked. If you want to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Please send me your emails. Please send me your emails to share on the show. I've got two emails to share as per. And then I've got a brilliant episode with Charlie Martin, who is a racing driver who I've been trying to, we've been trying to link up for ages. And we finally managed to do it because now we both live in Brighton. So I really enjoyed this chat. It was one of the ones that we did in person. And I'm sure you will too. But before we get to that, let's have a couple of emails. Here we go. Susie. Thank you so much for your wonderful chat with David. I was stunned to hear his chat and hear the similarities in our story. I am the son of Pentecostal missionaries and was born and raised in West Africa. I also had malaria a number of times and evacuated Libya at the start of the civil war in the early 90s. I also went into healthcare and a trained GP after a brief detour into opera, but I'm currently working as a palliative care physician. 
I also took many years to come out. Lost my virginity at 33, came out to my parents at 34. They had an exorcism on the spot. Wow. I totally agree with David's advice to send a letter. I wish I'd done that because I'll never forget the rage I felt having to stand there and experience my parents not seeing me. And they're assuming that my inseparable part of me is literal evil incarnate. I like to say that it took my 20s to abandon my religion. And when I hit my 30s and started med school, I didn't have the energy anymore to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. Thank you so much for this podcast and for sharing these stories, for letting people hear the queer experience. It is in hearing others' paths that will illuminate your own or develop empathy for those in our circle who may be walking a similar path. I don't think you'll ever know how much good you do when you sit down and have these conversations. Thank you. Virtual hugs from a stranger in Canada. And that's from Kent, who says, if you want to read this, feel free to use my name. Um, Kent, I know who you are. You follow me on Instagram and we often have sort of, I, I like a lot of your comments because you also listen to like-minded friends. Thank you for this lovely email. Um, wow, I'm so sorry that you had such a tough time with coming out and with growing up in such a, oh, what's the word, restricted environment for someone like us. Is that the right words to use? I hope it is. I hope that you're doing okay. I'm so pleased that this podcast has been helpful to you. I'm so pleased that David's episode in particular really resonated. And you're so right. Hearing other people's stories does illuminate the path for yourself. What a great way of putting it. So thank you for that. And thank you for the kind things that you said about the podcast as ever. Yes, I do do the interviews, obviously, but it's the people that come on the show that share their stories that are really the people that give up their time to sit and chat and be so honest. But thank you so much for the kind things that you said. I really appreciate it, Kent. And I hope that wherever you are in Canada, you're having a good day today. Right, let's have another one. Let's have a swig of tea first. My voice is very croaky, isn't it? Because it's so early. Here we go. Hi, Susie. I've been writing various drafts this email to you in my mind since I first started listening to the podcast all the way back when you had Nathan Fode on as a guest, which must be about a year ago. Yes, it must be. It may be even more. Wow. That has been a while. That's a great episode. If you haven't listened to it, that's a great episode. I love him. I started with that episode and then went right back to episode one and have been working my way through in order, but I didn't want to write in until I was up to date, though I'm still not quite there. I'm finally on to the end of series six, just as series seven is starting. I've always been an ally, but I find myself in the odd position of being on the edge of the community and never in it. I'm a probably straight cis woman married to a man, and on paper I feel like I'm promoting a particular model of heteronormativity that doesn't resonate with me. Heteronormativity, have I said that right? I think so. I say probably straight. The older I get, I'm 36 now, the more I think I'm actually probably somewhere on the ace spectrum, but that doesn't seem like a relevant thing to explore as an identity, as I'm happy and settled in a long-term relationship. So it's not something I have spared much thoughts to. My husband is bisexual, though not really out to many people and not especially interested in being out. I always think that puts me in an odd position when interacting with some of my queer friends. I know what it is to be in a queer relationship, though myself identify as mostly being straight. And because he's not really out, I'm limited to who I talk to about it because only a small number of my friends are aware. This often makes me feel like I'm being fraudulent or overstepping. I feel like I'm in a strange place of being an ally plus or maybe queer adjacent, but listening to your podcast is really lovely to be able to engage with the LGBTQ plus community and hear people's stories, knowing they're willing to share 
and that I'm not being voyeuristic by wanting to hear them. I'd love for you to have more bisexual guests. And I know you're always looking to keep representing as much of the community as possible. But I'd be particularly keen to hear from bi people who are in straight relationships. I don't have any actual suggestions, though, I'm afraid. Wishing you and your family well. And that's from Laura. Thank you, Laura, so much for getting in touch. I love the idea of Ally Plus. That's a great way of putting it. And I'm so pleased that this podcast is sort of providing a space for you to feel more connected to the LGBTQ plus community. I have tried to get bisexual people who are in straight relationships or do you still call it a straight relationship in in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex? That might be the best way of putting it to come on the show. But I've got to be honest, they've all said no. And I think that's one of them said I feel I feel worried that I'd get some sort of hate from the queer community, which I reassured her. I said, you really, really won't. But the people that I've asked don't want to share. And, you know, it, it's the same with people that I've got in touch with that are on the ace spectrum or different types of people. Not everyone wants to put their head above the parapet, I guess. And, you know, in a world where social media can be so angry, and people are so determined to tell people what their identity is. I think um, not everyone wants to do it, but I will keep trying, I promise you, Laura. And hopefully at some point I will have everyone from... I think I have managed to have everyone from the, the community at some point or another, or a type of person from each part of our community. I do try to. But as I've mentioned before in the show, I'm the only person that does it. I do all the booking, I do all the getting in touch with, and, you know... It's uh, it's hard to find people, but I will keep trying. I promise you I will keep trying. Mentioning putting your head above the parapet, my goodness, I was on Woman's Hour last week, two weeks ago maybe now, and I mentioned that I was in a queer family. I also mentioned that I was a cis woman. My goodness, I shouldn't have done that. Well, I should have. I'm happy to do it. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't mind people coming at me. But the hate that I got on Twitter... Don't call yourself a cis woman on Women's Hour and then go on Twitter. I mean, as ever, Alice checks my Twitter. I don't really go on there because people are horrible and I'm weak. No, I'm not weak. I just don't want to engage with people that are horrible for fun. But it was so awful, people getting in touch. You're not cis, you're this, you're that. You're an embarrassment to the lesbian community. Okay. Refer to myself as a queer parent. People are so angry. You're not queer, you're a lesbian. So angry about what I choose to call myself. What a strange way to live your life. People had saved tweets that I'd put out to sort of, I guess, to come at me. And to give you an idea, I tweet about five times a year, six times a year. But I guess they have them saved in their phones so that as soon as I say something that they don't agree with, they can send out a tweet saying what a terrible person I am. Uh, usually from a documentary where, once again, I was a trans ally and I got, oh, quite a lot of anger from it. I just find these people absolutely shocking that they would spend their lives waiting for someone so that they can shout at them on the internet. And the, the mad thing is, is that I didn't even see it. My wife just went, oh, the turfs have gone crazy. And it's not hurting me. But what a group of horrible people. And uh, what a reminder that I am pleased that I'm doing this podcast and I'm proud of doing this podcast. 
And let's share today's episode. It's with the brilliant Charlie Martin. I really hope you enjoy it. We had a lovely chat. I really enjoyed this conversation with her and I hope you do too. Oh, hello, listener. I am very excited for today's conversation. Charlie Martin is a British racing car driver and a transgender activist who uses her status as a prominent racing driver to raise awareness of LGBT rights. In 2022, she got the silver medal at the North American Lamborghini Cup. Pretty bloody impressive, I'd say. She has a third place finish at Le Mans for the Bugatti circuit. She's also an ambassador for Stonewall and led a world first, a campaign with the Ginetta GT5 Challenge at Silverstone for drivers to have rainbow stickers on their cars to show support for equality and diversity in the industry. We've been trying to start this interview for bloody ages, so I'm delighted to have her here today. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Susie. Thank you for persevering with this as well, because honestly, it's super cool to be uh, here today. Oh, that's so nice of you. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I'm feeling slightly spaced. I moved home last week and I've had a massive boxing session in the gym this morning. Oh, have you? Yeah. Good yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm just feeling a little bit like I'm I'm having a sugar load. But uh, if I start talking gibberish, just throw a glass of water in my face. <laughs> do you have to do, I mean, obviously you have to stay really fit being a racing driver, but do you have like certain like PTs you have to keep up with every week to like keep yourself strong enough? I mean, you know, you do have to be really fit. It kind of depends what level and what discipline you race in. Right. But I mean... Personally, I mean, I'm a very sporty, kind of active mm-hmm. person anyway. Yeah. I, I enjoy exercising, which is quite handy. But yeah, the, there's certainly a lot that you can do to, you know, to improve your performance. I, I guess like any sport, you know, any athletes, you get to a point where you've made all the big gains. You've mm-hmm. done you know, so many hours of what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're always looking for those little incremental gains. Yes. Uh, uh, those things that add up to suddenly like 5%, 10%. And I, and I think within working with not only your physical agility and strength but mm-hmm. also your mental agility yeah the, the, there are some really big gains there i think and like when you're driving for a long time yeah uh, so we like, were just talking about like the the Le Mo- the 24 hours in Le Mans. yeah just look at me learning the things um and that's three drivers over 24 hours yeah, that's right. Yeah. So how long would you do at a time? You would typically do... So a stint is based on how much fuel you've got. Oh. So it could be an hour and a half, or you could do a double stint, or you could potentially do a triple stint. So that's... I mean, that's like you drive into the pits, car goes up on jacks. <laughs> just like that. Just they like do, that. Just, they <laughs> good sound effects. Thank you. I do all my own sound effects. <laughs> They change the tires, fill it up with fuel. So you get you get you know sixty seconds, ninety seconds of like, you know, have a little drink, just and then off you go. Zone out for a minute, off you go again. And so, and you how think, fast would you be driving you on a course could, like that? You could hit up to depending what car you're driving, one hundred and seventy, oh nearly two hundred or two hundred miles an hour actually for the fastest cars. And at that kind of speed, you have to. You can't lose focus for no, a moment. No, I was just about to right? say, like, doesn't the focus sort of like, this might sound mad, but doesn't it like hurt your face? Like, you do you know I mean? Like your eyes where you're like focusing or is that a learning thing of like you have to actually relax? I mean, that's one of the skills that you yeah. have to develop is is being able to relax when you're, because our heart rate will be up anywhere between 150 to 180 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. So you think that that's like running full power on a treadmill yeah and your heart rate's doing that for 
an hour and a half, then with a tiny break, and then again and again. And so it's like, you know, trying to be a bit zen and trying to be able to kind of, obviously you're really hyped up, but also, yeah, just be calm enough that you're kind of present of your surroundings mm. and you don't kind of burn yourself out because yeah. otherwise, you know, you get out of the car and you're just completely frazzled. Yeah, totally. And it's part, it's like part of the training about the mental agility. Because like surely staying focused for that long, mm. you've got to really be like, you can't like when you're doing 200 miles an hour, you couldn't be like... <laughs> Why not have a tea tomorrow? Like you can't go in, you literally can't go into autopilot. But but that's, I mean, honestly, the funny thing is that's exactly what can happen. You know, you just have some random thought pops (laughs) in your head. I don't know if you've ever done meditation, but it's the same thing where, you know, thoughts come and go and you just have to let them go. Mm. Um, But it's inevitable, really. Yeah, you can't. You're driving for that long. It's going to happen at, at times, uh, or, or you know, something, something catches your attention, mm. uh, whatever it is, something in the rearview mirror, something happening up ahead, yeah, uh, you, you know, like the sun's coming up, and you think, oh, that's really pretty, yeah, and, you just, and you're like, oh crikey, there's a corner, and so do you get nervous before you get in? I, I do, yeah, I, and I think if you don't, then. I mean, maybe the top, top elite level drivers like Formula One and stuff. Yeah. Because they, they're just on such a level. But I mean, personally, I think everybody gets a bit nervous, right? Everybody yeah. gets butterflies in the morning. Personally, I find the worst bit is when, I don't know, an hour or two before I get in the car mm-hmm. and I'm just kind of you know, bouncing around the garage, sort of what feeling your a little... day look like? Sorry, I interrupted you then, which is very no, rude. No, no, not at all. It, it's like, typically you're up at about I don't know, 6, 6.30. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and get some, some breakfast in quite early, maybe do a bit of meditation, mm-hmm. uh, have a shower, whatever, get to the track. Um, get uh, your cool suit on. Get I your, love your cool, get suit. Your cool suit. I've seen so many videos of you in your cool yeah. suit. <laughs> well, they saying that, it depends, because, I mean, if it's really, really hot, I'll probably stay in shorts and a T-shirt as long as I can. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, maybe run through things with the engineers, you know, a bit of strategy. Yep. The weather, weather might have changed. It might have, you know, oh, we've changed the setup, mm. all these kinds of things. Maybe look back through some of your onboard. So all those kind of like techie sort of things mm. to prepare and just refresh what your game plan is for the race. I do, um, a lot of drivers do some kind of mental, uh, physical warm up. So I've got one of these, I don't know if you've seen it, it's like a, a boxing trainer, it's a rubber band, yeah. goes around your head with a boxing ball on a bit of elastic yeah. um, and you, you, you punch it and it kind of springs back at you. So it just gets your oh, hand eye coordination going. I can imagine that's going. quite meditative, like yeah. just getting it at the right like rhythm. Yeah, exactly. And it just gets your 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 brain, your eyes, your your arms, your hands all kind of working together. Just just kind of wakes you up really. Um and then and then it's really just that bit before you get in the car where I I'll put my headphones on and that's What will you listen to? Oh, I've got a few playlists. A yeah. lot of kind of like electro and like synth wave and ah. stuff. I quite like that kind of thing. Um, something quite atmospheric, you know, that gets me sort of in the zone a bit. Yeah. And, um, I've got a playlist for before stand-up. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, quite in- it's just always quite interesting hearing other people's... What kind of things do you listen to? I've got one playlist that I made called Big Gay Party, which is like, 
I'm Coming Out, Elton John, uh-huh. Janelle Monet, Christine and the Queens, like really sort of pop and so- and then some sort of slightly cooler stuff, but like sort of queer anthems. Nice. Yeah, like I Am What I Am, but the disco version. Yeah, loads of really sort of big sort of camp classics. And and things that just like give you that feel good, kind things of build that you I up. Like, like like to, if I'm like, I'll often like have a bit of a walk before the gig, mm-hmm. and like the thing that will be like, bam, bam, like it might be like so Paul Simon's one of them. Dun, 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 nice. Dun, 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 dun. It's like good to walk to. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But they're all like really they're songs that I want to dance to basically, and so I'm like, oh, I need to do something, so I'll go and get on stage. I guess just like give you that energy that you need. Yeah, to... it makes me feel positive. I couldn't yeah. listen to like Adele or something, <laughs> who I love. Yeah. But like, I'd be like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. I'll go and sit down and have a glass of wine in front of a fire. <laughs> sorry, everyone. Yeah, sorry, this show's off. <laughs> I'm all of a sudden really sad. So, were you always into cars? Were you always into, like, from a kid? I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That right, was okay. my obsession, I think. It's mm-hmm. probably not too strong a word. Top Gun. Right? Yeah, so right. I, okay. I, I would have been, I think it was 1985. So I'd have been about, yeah, four or five years old. Okay. Um, and all I wanted to do was was fly planes. You know, I totally geeked out on it. To... Whereabouts did you grow up? In the Midlands, in Leicestershire. Right, okay. Yeah. So um, I... I, up until the age of about 10 or 11, that that was just 100% all, all I could think about, you know. So um, That's adorable. I, I just, you know, I used to build model planes mm-hmm. and read books about planes. and Just everything. Have you got a pilot's licence? No, I've done a bit of flying. Right. Um, which I really enjoyed. And I, I'd love to get my PPL, but then... <sighs> Motorsports just such an expensive hobby. Yeah, I bet. And try and do both. Yeah, I yeah, think. impossible. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day, you know. Sure. But for now, yeah, I'm just just stick to racing. But the the, the long and short of it was, I, I'm terrible at maths and physics. Like that's just the complete opposite of of how my brain mm-hmm. is wired up. And uh, and I. I remember my mum having a conversation with me in the nicest possible way, but basically being a bit like, look, you, do you, re- you know, because you've got to get, you have to get really good grades. I think you need A-level yeah. maths and physics. Um, Is which, that right? Yeah, I which that. I don't know if it's still the case. Right, but then but certainly, yeah. You, you know, you've got to be able to do like 533.6 times 10,012 in a upside down pulling 6G. And yeah, I would have trouble with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, even without the upside down and the six G, <laughs> and without a calculator, I'd still. Like, it's just, yeah, that's that's tough. So, did you? At what point were you like, oh, well, then maybe racing? Yeah, around that kind of similar time, mm-hmm. actually. One of my friends at school, his dad used to race. Oh, cool! And uh, I, I remember going away with him, going to stay with him for the weekend once, and he's like, oh yeah, you know, like my dad. I knew his dad raced, and he was like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll go racing with dad you know or like camp and stuff and I was like oh cool cool you know I was always into the idea of yeah, adventures yeah. and things that are different and um, and I just really loved it you know being being in the paddock and actually involved in what was happening mm. and trying to help out and and, and uh, I don't know just like the noise and the, even like the smell of it yeah it's just 
Burning rubber. Burning rubber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I was like, oh, cool. And then whenever there was an opportunity to go and do that, I, yeah. I, I did. And, and also things like consoles taking off at that point in time. Yeah, right? of course. So I, I grew up playing Gran Turismo and Colin McRae Rally and all these kinds of games. And I was like, wow, racing's cool. So kind of pivoted into, into motorsport. And then is that what you did after? We like, Did you do that? after school like how does that even become your job i i had no idea how <laughs> and for a long time i thought most sport is something else something that other people do mm-hmm. that's how i looked at it then my friend started racing with his dad when he was 19 mm-hmm. and, and i was suddenly like oh okay maybe this is something i can do because you know my friend hamish is doing it and yeah why not but i mean i didn't know how I didn't know which way you turn a screw to tighten it or undo it. That was that's how little kind of mechanical knowledge I right, had. Okay. And I thought, yeah, if you if you're going to racing, you've got to be able to like do all this kind of stuff and strip an engine. Mm. And but I ended up buying this car through my friend's dad. Year I left university. I mean, completely logical, really, in terms of like having no money as just like an ex-student. Yeah. But I made up my mind. This is, you know, I'm going to go for it, and I'm had this vision and this determination that, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just learn on the job. And I saved up fifteen hundred quid, bought this little Peugeot, and uh, had to spend a year kind of like putting it together because it was just like a box of bits. No, is that like those cars that you sometimes see people like? on like the motorway where you mm. can see pe- like those old Persia do they is, is that what it, is that what you mean it was a 205 so it was like right, okay yeah I remember the 205 right yeah. yeah like I mean classic hot hatch I wish I'd still got it because I mean they're super collectible now right okay <laughs> like um so it's I don't know like 1989 1992 yeah. kind of car that kind of age yeah and yeah I, I it took me a year to to you know, I had to get a few people on board at times, but a lot of the stuff I did myself. Like we had a spray booth at my family business, and I got someone to show me how to spray, and I sprayed it and things like that. I so, would find that so satisfying. Oh, like so doing good. something from scratch is so right. good for the soul, right? It, it is, yeah. And and to see it move along, yeah. And like you, as you say, you you feel so invested in it emotionally mm. that um, I'll never. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever kind of forget what that meant to me at that point mm. in time. I was like, well, even if I'm really crap, like I've I've still I'm I've got here, you know. Yeah. I've bought this car, I've made it, I've done and it. I'm here, yeah. you know. I'm doing I'm doing motorsport. So really humble beginnings, you know. Started off at club level. I used to camp in a tent. I mean, I used to spend like a grand a year. That was like my budget. Yeah, which which is while not you a were lot working in, and yeah, yeah, exactly. I never had any like real feeling like oh yeah this is going to be this starts here and it goes to here right it was just like cool this is this is me i'm doing my thing Mm -hmm. and yeah you know big achievement yeah definitely and so i read in one in an interview with you that you said that there was a point when you thought well i I'm, I'm sort of uh, misquoting you so please forgive that but you said something like i didn't think that i could be a transgender person and also in motorsports. It was like those two things. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't, it was impossible. Yeah, these things are diametrically opposed. Right. It's never going to happen. Okay. Yeah. And so at what point did you, you know, when you were growing up, were you aware of 
sort of a, I often describe my experience as like an otherness like I knew I was mm. other I just mm. knew mm. that I didn't that I wasn't like the other girls uh-huh. basically yeah and wasn't like the other boys either I just knew that I didn't quite fit mm. so so did you have that growing up were you aware of the sort of dysphoria as as a child yeah yeah I mean very like a very similar feeling mm. if I'm honest when I was I guess six yeah six maybe seven really hard to put my finger on exactly what that was or mm. how I knew that I, I remember there was a thing when I was at Alton Towers with my family and I had this like amazing bowl cut in the 1980s I think I was a probably, great look. probably wearing dungarees maybe looked a little bit you know androgynous yeah uh, and some other parents said to my dad oh yeah but your little girl's going on the ride with you I bet she's really excited and my dad was like that's my son it's not my daughter and this story just used to get like you know repeated sometimes in whatever context uh like it's a funny thing and I guess I remember whenever I heard that thinking that I, you know, I I wish I was a girl, and I felt that I was a girl, and I, that's maybe the earliest thing where I couldn't really put my finger on why, but I was like, oh, something, there's something here that's not quite right. You know, it doesn't sit with me. Yeah, in the right way. And I think for so much longer, you know, as a gay as a gay woman, we've had the language for so much, or at least the. Even though ne- ne- the language wasn't necessarily uh, pleasant, there was mm. sort of an understanding of what being gay was or what being mm. a lesbian was. Like we're we're a similar mm. age, there's a few years between us, but mm. you know, I feel like I didn't even, I wouldn't have even known that transgender was a thing really, right? As, as a young person, so if you're feeling yeah. that yourself, I can't imagine. Like it must be quite isolating. Yeah, I think so because there was such a long period of time in my whole childhood and adolescence even um showing my age here until until the internet yeah was invented yeah and, and up until that happened the only times I saw trans people were you know more like either drag queens yeah uh in films or uh, this is someone who's a transvestite yes and uh, which is you know which was really painted in a very kind of weird negative Mm. outsider kind of yeah you know this is a wrong kind of thing these people who do this thing that you know sort of sexually deviant almost so there would be yeah there would be elements of how people that were yeah that didn't fit into that sort of binary box would be painted yeah like it's something you should like be ashamed of yes is who you are yeah and and then you know occasionally someone who's who's transsexual as it was Mm, termed back in the day you know which again kind of sexualizes the whole idea of being trans Mm -hmm. in 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 the first place yeah and yeah i've never really thought of that but yeah of course that's yeah yeah it makes it yeah about sex which is isn't gender right yeah yeah whereas transgender is just much more like oh okay it's it, it kind of explains what it is yeah, it does what it says on the tin. Does what it says on the tin, exactly. <laughs> so, ah, I can understand this. This makes sense. Yeah. Without any any of the kind of other stuff, you're just like, well, pff, cr- you know, crikey, like, 
I, I mean, I grew up feeling just really, yeah, like alone. That I can mm. talk about here how I felt and, and, and you know, trying to understand yourself in the mm. whole context of what that is. And yeah, just feeling like there's something really wrong with me, which is which is kind of fucked up, really. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the only I'm trying to like desperately drag a positive from somewhere, but like it, 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 the, the, the invention of the Internet just means that young people today have mm. such a wealth of mm. of information. I mean, there's also problems with the Internet, but also like that's why it's so brilliant that you've been such an ambassador to to show people that you can do sort of you can be several things and that things aren't you know if you are one thing it doesn't mean that you can't be another thing Mm. and so you were already racing you already in that world you already sort of had your industry Mm. did it just get to a point when you thought I I can't pretend to be this person anymore yeah I mean I outwardly I was quite heteronormative right um I think growing up, you know, there's times when I try to be a bit more expressive about my gender identity mm. and a bit androgynous and things, right. but but probably fairly unsuccessfully, I think, in terms of trying to really get answers that I needed to find about myself. Yeah. Uh, and just reach some level of kind of self-acceptance, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, and it's funny because of what you just said, because the thing that really changed it for me was I guess, actually I guess a couple of things primarily YouTube mm. and seeing people my own age who are transitioning right I mean like whoa it was like someone telling me the earth isn't flat right okay because I got one idea of one really horrible I say horrible but yeah one very distorted idea of, of, of what being a trans person mm-hmm. might potentially mean for me in terms of living the rest of my life and then suddenly like oh here's loads of people my own age and you know they've 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 all had their kind of trials and tribulations but most of them are just really happy and they're living their life and you know they've got friends yeah they've got jobs and you know they're not complete social outcasts in fact actually they look they look really like they're living their best life yeah i'm like whoa okay maybe maybe i can you know maybe i can live that life was that quite a frightening thing to realize that it was possible because then it's like oh well then i then i have to do it or a I little bit yeah tell it, everyone it, and and work out how to how what this version of me where i'm being more authentic is yeah it's a little bit like opening in a not in a positive way opening pandora's box because yeah, you're right? just like once you've learn all these things you can't you can't put them back in the box mm. you're like wow now i know all this stuff um and then another part of that was my transsexual summer which was i think 2011 yes, i remember watching that yeah and, yeah and that was a really groundbreaking show now remind me was it they all lived together in a they house did, yeah and then they go away and come back and they're all transitioning yeah that's it. And but they're all different ages, right? They're like yeah. it, there was younger people, and yeah, I remember watching that. Yeah, and I think it was a really important show as well on a lot of levels, but also because it showed a, a lot of trans men, which you know previously I think the focus had just been on on trans women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm good friends with two of the people off that, Fox Fisher and yes, Lewis Hancock. And, yes, and that's been. Um, Again, meeting them, they were some of the first trans people that I met, and uh, through through YouTube mm. and blogging and stuff. And so, 
although that was actually I met them actually you know some way into my transition but first off it was yeah YouTube and uh, and I just um, I think I just realized there's this whole there's a whole part of me which I've never really understood and I'm I'm going to go through my whole life and I'm never going to know who I am and and you know sorry to be a bit dark about it but like you know one day I'm going to die mm-hmm. and I'm never going to live today as me in my whole life and that's a pretty profound thing to suddenly be faced yeah. with and, I was, and and so I knew on one hand that I had to transition but then on the other hand I was like I'm kind of paralyzed by the fear of what this is going to mean in my life in my career and yeah. in motorsport you know and all these kinds of things but it reached a point for me where things got really really bad from a from a psychological point of view and, and I, I hit rock bottom and when you hit rock bottom there's only one place you can go and that's upwards yeah and I thought yeah this is going to be hard it's going to be scary but it's also exciting mm-hmm and this is the only way this is the only way to do it so yeah 2012 January 2012 was when I took that kind of step into the unknown and did you did you begin by sort of telling people and did you is like is that something also we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to no no it's cool yeah how did you begin that that process so it was a case of first you know starting with closest people in my life yeah, so so my family mm-hmm. I mean I both my parents passed away a long time ago so I've got two older brothers right who I worked with at the time so I told them and then started with friends and people and gradually you kind of work your way out yes and I suppose also you get to a point where you've told enough people that you know especially living in rural Leicestershire at the time kind of news travels fast yeah, and people like to gossip yeah. so you get to a point where you're like okay everybody kind of knows now so like you know. but was there an element of like relief with that massive yeah. yeah because like on the one hand you don't want to be gossip but on the other hand if everyone knows then it's done <laughs> yeah like yeah. okay fine like yes this is the thing this is it this right. is me and, and, I, and I remember the first few people I told and I was like I was so worked up about it and I you know and was the language even like Obviously, we'd had that show, My Transse- Trans... My Transsexual Summer. Transsexual yeah. Summer, yeah, sorry, I want to get the, the name right. And, but were people... Because I feel like now, if I said to, for example, my mum, or mm. like someone not of our generation, a bit older, mm. if you said trans, they'd be like, yeah, okay, I get this. Mm-hmm. But like 10, 11 years ago, mm. was, was that language even... Yeah, I think it was still... Certainly there were people I spoke to that I had to... You know, I had to articulate things in yeah. quite simplistic terms. Yeah. And, and But then the funny thing was, and I'm sure this probably resonates with a lot of people in terms of their own coming out stories, mm. that, you know, initially I was so worked up and trying to, you know, I'm going to do it here and I need to, you know, it was like yeah. planning the moon landings, you know. <laughs> and, then, and I'd be like, you know, there's this thing I've got to tell you and it's really... It's been terrible my whole life, and you know, da 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 da. And I tell them, and then they'd be like, "Okay, all right, well, hey, you know, something you know, really supportive. Yeah, you're my friend. Wow, that's really brave, you know." Mm. And and by the third person, you're like, "It was much easier." And by like the the tenth person, you're like, "Well, basically, I'm trans, and I'm going to transition." You know? Yeah, it's just it just becomes a lot easier, really. And I think that having people accept you mm. is just a wonderful thing, right? Oh massively you just suddenly feel like 
oh gosh what have I worried about all this time you know it's yeah. like why didn't I tell people a long time ago so yeah yeah when you were beginning your transition did you take a, a break from sport were you mm, I took you... it I took probably a year off yeah it would have been a whole year off from racing mm. Um, I, I gave up basically because I thought no one's going to accept me. I actually thought that's that's the end of that. So it, you did feel like you had to cho- choose a lane, and in the end, you chose you yeah. rather than sports. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'd never seen any LGBTQ plus visibility in that space. No. And it's that old cliche of if you can't you you can't be what you can't see. Hundred percent. So. Um, I, I I told a couple of friends, two really close friends. One of them never spoke to me again, and I think that in itself is like, mm, you know, you need you need a bit of you need a bit of encouragement at that point in time. Mm. And uh, and I thought, well, yeah, that's that's quite fifty fifty sort of uh, response. Made me feel like no, it's just not going to work. And I actually my my friends and my family who who said look don't you just don't you at least just want to go back see everyone and just at least then you know and at that point were you i'm reminded of a conversation i had with isla holden who do you know isla Isla, yeah i know isla quite well yeah Yeah. she when she came on the show she said that there was like a point where she went home one weekend with the the male uniform Mm. and walked in on the monday Mm in the female uniform and I said I think that's probably one of the bravest things I've ever heard anyone do but were you did you feel like you were taking like a new version of yourself like were you holding yourself in a different way were you wearing like were you like did you think about what you were going to wear like is was it it just feels like it would be massive yeah it's true there are so many things that were going through my head at that point in Mm. time and and it's really, I think it's it's so hard when you've lived your life. So I was thirty, right? So I lived like, a, like a pretty pretty much, you know, a big chunk of my life without ever, you know, expressing this side of me mm. really, or certainly not in public, you know. Yeah. With, with people in an environment that I would never choose to walk into at this very very early stage, when everything feels super you know raw Mm. so yeah in terms of how you yeah how you hold yourself how you're trying to speak and dress and and all these things it's like uh it's like spinning plates yeah (laughs) and how was that response then when you went into the pit and you saw your friends yeah it was it was pretty terrifying if i'm honest it's one of the scariest things Mm. i've ever done and um I remember just sitting in my car thinking in the car park like I could just I could just drive home now mm-hmm. and it would be so easy but something in me was like come on you're here um you got this far yeah like <laughs> at least you'll know in about an hour you'll have some kind of an answer and uh, and it, and it really and I, I mean, I've said it a lot of times, you know, the small group of my friends, my closest friends that I raced with, eight people 
nine people maybe that that really made an effort to welcome me back into mm. that space really helped me get through that experience and because a majority of people just looked at me like I'd landed from another planet um not not in, I'm sure not in a nasty way like they were like oh you know get out we don't want you here it was more just like what on earth is this trans person doing here mm. because you just you know none of the none of them had ever really probably knowingly met a trans person yeah and, and in that space it was just I think it just felt yeah very alien to, mm. to, to, for me to and I think some people probably didn't even know maybe didn't even recognize it was me or right. you know just like what what's going what the hell's going on with Charlie you know or it was just really really uncomfortable mm. so yeah the people that kind of came over and were like hey how you doing give me a big hug and oh you're gonna come back racing next spring we really want to get you back you know we, we've really missed you this summer and you're like oh that must have been amazing yeah it really was it was it was a really really profound thing and I might be totally wrong here but I sort of imagine that space to be sort of quite testosterone fueled. Like, how many yeah. women are in that? Not a world lot. in terms of drivers, you know, engineers, mechanics, and so on. Uh, you know, very much women are very much in, in a minority. Yeah. So, I think now, what ten years on or so, we're seeing you know, more women come into that space in all kinds of roles yeah. within the motorsport industry. Mm. Uh, and there's some, been some really effective initiatives to try and encourage more women and younger girls mm -hmm. to, you know, into careers, because, of course, it's not just driving. No, of course. Um, but um, but but that, that takes time to have effect. And, yeah, of and course. And so even today, it's still very, you know, it's changing, but it's, it's changing slowly. Does everyone just drive together? It's not... Um, yeah. There's not female races and men like I know that when you're in your teams but do you is there anything differently about how you sort of were on the track I mean initially I'd say no but I over the sort of two the first two years of transition I went from being uh, like a pretty average driver in terms of results and things like that to suddenly suddenly getting to a point where I just just well just basically getting better mm. and I think a big part of that is just down to down to confidence down to self-belief it's mm. it's like you know getting in a car and driving really quickly involves on the one side it's like skill and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing but also you can't take out the the fact that you've got to be brave and you've yeah. got to push yourself and and I, and I guess really on a simplistic level if you feel more confident in yourself and on a really like subconscious level you know if you don't even really believe in the person that you are like the person me here sat today isn't actually me and I doubt myself on so many levels because of, you know, fundamentally, I'm not even in the right skin. Mm. That's going to affect so many things that you do, right? Your well, choices. Everything. you Yeah, your decisions, your decisions you make in a split second. And a lot of that filters through into when you then drive a car and race a car. And there's no way I could have got to 
the point I'm at in my career as a driver now had I not transitioned Mm. like I just couldn't perform on the same level I just don't think I would ever have got close to 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 unlock basically unlocking your potential as a human being right you know we talk about the benefits of living authentically Mm -hmm. and I think the experience I've gone through has made that so um yeah just so relevant to me in terms of like what I've managed to do as a driver really Mm. you know it's really uh it's really opened my eyes and and I guess unlocking potential in like you know I'm someone that's like I'm very defined by like my job and I'm kind of obsessed with my work but Mm. there's something about like when you're living like you realize like the the more that you live authentically I think the more you realize like oh yeah that's just like my job and I love it and Mm. I love my job yeah but that sort of opens up the sort of possibilities of what your life can look like yeah did you like did you find that like just uh, all aspects of your life was like oh yeah like was it like uh yeah you review everything yeah because I I grew up feeling limited Mm. right this is this is who I am in life this is my lot and uh, you know I, I can't I can't really be the person I want to be and therefore that, you know, well, I have to choose between a career that I mm. perhaps want to go for, but I can't be me. Or if I do want to be me, I have to choose you know, a life of being an outsider uh, and so on and so on. So, it, yeah, that that informs everything, you know, mm. the the what you hope to maybe earn, the, the lifestyle choices that you yeah. therefore will be able to make in life, you know, how many holidays you have a year, the, all these little things, you, you know, that, that knock on from that. Totally. And, and so it's like it, opening up all those kind of possibilities of, of like, actually, yeah, on the one hand, I can be my best self, I can be happy. And then on on the other hand, I can that's going to then enable me to be a happier person to be better at what I do and, yeah. and just to make the right choices that, that are the things that I want yeah something that I've learned and something that like I think that I've spoken about a lot with other guests on the podcast before is that I think quite often and I think it's certainly now I mean we're in quite a, a frightening time certainly for transgender people and I think for the whole queer community like it it's it's a strange time I think and so much of like the rhetoric that I certainly consumed as a young person was like, if you're queer, if you're gay, if you're other, like you will be sad. Like yeah. your life will be sad. Yeah. yeah. Like you won't have a partner. Yeah. And if you do, it will sort of be tragic. Mm. And if you do have a partner, like, th- you know, there'll be some sort of story where like lesbians always die or like she'll leave you and then you'll have this very sad life and I think for like lots of guys that are friends and also people that I've interviewed have said like you know it was AIDS you're gonna get AIDS so like watch it you know it was so so much of what we consumed as young people and I think it is changing now like there's loads of really positive stuff like Heartstopper and Mm. you know positive queer stuff that we can all consume but I don't know for me it felt like well you can't be happy and gay yeah yeah it, it's it's just yeah it's a fairy tale that's yeah not, not going to happen in reality yeah yeah i i, I think so I, yeah. I think um i had a I had a dream <laughs> a, a kind of fantasy of what my life might 
potentially look like if I lived in a parallel dimension. <laughs> and that's how that's how disconnected it felt from reality because I just couldn't really fathom how events and things might come together to to result in say the life that I live now it just didn't feel yeah it just didn't feel possible but that's like as you were talking about you know the fact that there hadn't been a transgender person walking into like a pit you know in an area where all the drivers would be before the fact that you've done that means like no one in the world will ever have to say that again yeah like that's so hopeful and like I've mm. as you know like I've we've been aware of each other for quite a long time I've been trying to get this in and like I follow mm. what you're up to on mm. social media and stuff like that and like the thing that I was like I was going through your social media this week and like just looking at different things you've been that you've done and like your social media just screams happy like it's such a like it's such a like it'd be such a hopeful thing for someone to look at and be like oh it's possible like you've got a great career you're in love with your partner you've just bought a house like mm. it's so it's so hopeful i i mean that's that's really kind to, to, to i mean you know i guess i you know it makes me feel happy that that things come across in that way because i guess i'm you know i've always felt that despite everything i've been a very positive person mm -hmm. that's kind of how I've been wired up since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm very much like glass half full kind of person. And I I guess that's probably something that's carried me a long way through the, you know, the difficulties that I've had in life. Some of which a lot of which were to do with being trans, but some of which, you know, would were, were just other things, you know, we all have bad things that happen, right? Mm -hmm. But I've always wanted to try and paint a realistic picture of being trans, but also, and I think it, of course, it is really important that there are activists and and people out there as well who, who are you know talking about a lot of the negative things yeah. that are happening, and and I I do try to do my bit to you know to shine a light on things that people who follow me who aren't from the community perhaps would have no idea about perhaps yeah. and you know one of those is you know the the way that trans women are treated in sport for mm -hmm. example and try and educate people around the realities um but nonetheless I, I try to just be you know positive really because i think i think one thing i've learned is that back at the beginning when I was transitioning in motorsport, um, it was really tough because people people just didn't understand what being trans meant mm -hmm. and what I was going through and why I was doing what I was doing. And I think most people just, yeah, they just couldn't relate. And I think from those first two years, as people started to see me come out of my shell and see me become more confident and believe in myself and how I guess just how your kind of aura sort of transforms going through that process people could see I was really happy mm. and it's a bit like a virtuous circle you know and and I guess no one who knew me through that process could kind of turn around and go oh yeah I don't get it it was like oh obviously you're just really happy to be you and what how can anyone deny someone that 
experience in life, mm. right? You're not you're not hurting anyone. So I just think that actually showing all the yeah all the good aspects of your life and sharing that on yeah. social media is really just I don't know. It's a good way of like getting people to getting people to feel more empathy right yeah. getting people to connect with something yeah. that's really tangible that's like you know okay you're always going to get idiots and trolls and of people course, like that yeah. but but like anyone else would look at that and just be like yeah i'm happy for you yeah like you're having a great life and that's something that hopefully then they take away and they're going to anytime they meet a trans person or they're going to read something they're going to be like actually no you know trans people aren't trying to I don't know do any one of the ridiculous things yeah, that, right. that some horrible tabloid a, might try and put in people's heads trans people are just trying to live their best lives and be happy yeah right and that's as simple as that and why wouldn't you support that and and that was a probably very convoluted way of no it wasn't convoluted no, because, that really. no but I think that's you're absolutely right. That's exactly what you're doing. You're you're achieving that. Thank you. You're achieving that. So I always ask people the same question who come on the show. It's sort of a, you know, if you could reach out to a version of yourself before, or if you want to think about yourself, maybe think about someone that's maybe in a similar position. And I may be thinking of the version of you that was in that car, thinking outside you know, where all your old pals from motorsports were inside people that you used to work with and you were making the decision to go in as the real you and you thought, I could just drive away now. If you could reach out to her or someone in a similar position right right this moment, what would you say? I'd say things are always a lot worse in your head than mm-hmm. they are in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all have a tendency to overthink and, uh, yeah, turn our, our problems into mountains that we're, we, we're just, you know, we're afraid of climbing. Uh, I'd say one thing I've learned is that, and it didn't happen overnight for sure, but but you, you have to push yourself sometimes uh, in situations like that. But it's taught me subsequently to never question my right to feel valid in any space and I guess that's how I felt back then I didn't feel valid in that space I didn't Mm -hmm. feel welcome but actually again it it kind of comes back to the first thing of just you know feeling that fear within us that I think people people generally are you know good and kind in Mm -hmm. their hearts and we all want other people to to feel happy and to feel loved and actually sometimes there's a bit of a there's a bit of a bridge to build but but actually once you build that bridge people people will support you people will be on board people will become you know some of your greatest allies Mm. might be the people you never expected to find support from yeah Uh, that's something that's really surprised me actually and just to yeah just to believe that that what you're doing you know is the right thing you know to to just follow your heart and do what feels right for you and and really be the best person that you know how to be and and everyone else will if they if they don't want to be on board with that then i think they'll probably be in a minority and i think most people will follow that you know they'll see you being happy and they'll 
they'll feel that energy and they'll want to be part of that a perfect way to end thank Thank you you, charlie i've loved this thank you it's been really fun that was the brilliant charlie martin i really hope that you enjoyed that conversation i did too if you want to get in touch please do the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com i hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing you have a lovely day and i will speak to you next week bye bye (laughs) 